0: When I start up a conversation, I'm appealing to them and what they do as opposed to my own initiative. Um, And most people don't do that. They just say, hey, I need something from this person. I'm just going to go straight for the ask.
1: Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Crider. Today, we're sitting down with somebody who I have been following for a long time. His name is Sean Thomas, and among other things, he runs the Instagram page Ask a Millionaire, okay? So he is somebody who actually, he started off, it's it's a wild, wild story, okay? I had no idea um, that this dude's story was as wild as it is, but he started off actually in a boy band, okay? He was in a boy band touring across the entire country, uh, playing in stadiums. This dude is doing some wild, wild things. Currently, a mentor to hundreds going on thousands of young entrepreneurs who are working on taking their businesses either off the ground or to that next level. That is his big, big passion right now is, is showing people how they can begin to to really really scale their businesses and turn their passion project into something that has the ability to really change the entire trajectory of their lives, as it was able to do for Sean. We also talk about the mindset required to become a successful entrepreneur. Okay, a lot of people think. Oh, I don't need to worry about that mindset mumbo jumbo. Um, but Sean really breaks it down in an actionable way and really closes the episode with some really key, actionable steps. He literally gives you an entire blueprint For a highly scalable online business. okay? He literally goes step by step by step, do this, do this, do this. He gives you the exact blueprint that you need to follow if you want to grow a highly scalable online business. So definitely stay tuned for that. Um, And without further ado, we're going to welcome Sean on to the show. So wherever you are at on this wonderful day, whether you are driving to work, whether you are taking a walk in the sun, um, I want you guys to sit back, relax, and plug in to this episode of Young Smart Money with Sean Thomas. All right, Sean, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? Fantastic, man. Great to be here, Apple. It is my pleasure. So, Sean, our listeners got to hear a little bit about you in the intro to this episode, but for those of them that aren't familiar with you and what you're currently doing right now, could you give us a quick 60 to 90 second intro as to what Sean Thomas is currently doing?
0: Awesome. Well, I'm an angel investor, meaning I invest in startup companies uh, as an individual investor. I'm an entrepreneur. I own a couple different companies. Uh, I own a company called Ask a Millionaire, which is a mentorship company for startup entrepreneurs that do less than a million dollars in annual sales per year that are looking to get mentorship to grow that company. I'm also a partner in a new creative agency called Thriver Creative out of Nashville, but my partners are in Los Angeles and we do branding uh, creative direction for companies. Um, and I'm an avid wine lover, foodie, and trying to travel as much of the world as possible.
1: I'm I love it. So you're doing a couple different things right now. I'm super stoked to get each and every one of those. Um, but first of all, I like to start all the episodes by sort of flashing back in time, um, usually to like middle school and high school years, just because we have got a younger audience here and I think it makes you a lot more relatable. People can see where you sort of got started. So talk to us about like that middle school, high school period. Were you somebody who was very into school? Were you starting up things on the side? Were you very into sports? What did that look like for you?
0: So I grew up in a military family.
1: And so we moved around a lot when I was
0: a young kid. And at the age of eight, we moved to Alaska. And so I was in, I think that was when I was about third grade. And then we moved out to a place called Eagle River, which is a very small town, about 10 miles north of Anchorage. Hmm. At an early age, my dad got me into sports. My dad was very type A. So he was, he always had my brother, I have an older brother. We were in sports pretty much all year round. So we went from one sport to the next sport, to the next sport until summer. Uh, So I played baseball, hockey basketball, and soccer all year round, depending, wow. on the, depending on the seasonings, or seasons, I mean. And uh, I would say I was just a normal kid, you know, Going growing up. Um, we didn't grow up with a lot of money, not that that's a big deal, but we weren't poor. But, you know, we had our share of times of going to the dump to look for furniture and things like that, like the literal dump. We were, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. And uh, I came home from school one day and said, hey, I uh, how come I don't have new shoes like my friends at school? And my mom and dad said, well, we just don't have the money to do that. But if you'd like to start working, this is when I was 12 years old, if you'd like to start working, we'll put you to work and we'll help you learn how to make money. And so my dad got me a paper route when I was 12 years old. Hmm. And to those of you and those of your audience that are in other areas of the world that might live where there's a cold weather part, Alaska, <laughs> Alaska gets pretty cold in the winter. Yeah. And so I used to wake up at four o'clock in the morning, pitch black. 15 20 degrees below zero and walk several miles delivering newspapers every day before school. And so I think it was during that that I kind of got you know the work ethic part done and my mom and dad always supported me and, and uh, so that's what I did during uh, middle school and high school and during high school, I uh, got jobs as a bus boy, just different jobs. I always worked like I, I was one of those kids that always had a job because I always wanted money and my parents just didn't have any to give us so i was like hey as long as i can work um you know i want to work um so yeah that's what i did during my middle year in uh, high school
1: okay awesome um was was the draw really just like the money to be able to to spend on things like like a new pair of shoes or like what was getting you out of bed at 4 a.m when you were like whatever 15 years old to, to do this paper route like what was what was your driver there money it was just money
0: money yeah I mean, why, why else do we work, you know, we work to make money. I mean, I, you listen, I teach and I mentor people and it's about serving and Zig Ziglar, you know, serve a million people. And, you know, mm-hmm. listen, I, I love that, that, you know, hyperbole, if you will, sure. but you know, why do we work? We work because we want to make money to do something with that money. I mean, there's, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. So when I was younger, I just wanted to be rich. Like I really did. I didn't know what that number meant. I didn't even know what rich meant. I just knew that we weren't. And I was like, I want to find a way to get it. Um, I went, you know, and so, yeah, it was, it was pure money just being able to have money to spend.
1: Were you surrounded by people who were particularly affluent? Was the area that you grew up in, were there some people who had a lot of money or was it sort of not? No, present?
0: no not at all. I think I grew up in a, a very middle America, okay. you know, a little, maybe low to middle America. Uh, I wasn't, I don't, you know, I don't even remember the last time or the the oldest time that I was actually exposed to a rich person. I don't Mm -hmm. think I ever even got exposed to, you know, a wealthy person, even when I was in high school, all throughout high school. Wow. Like I didn't really pay attention to that. We didn't hang around those type of people. And so, and we certainly didn't drive around or buy houses. The only place I saw wealthy people was on TV. Hmm. And I was really big into music. Uh, MTV was mm-hmm. when I was, when I was growing up, MTV was like a new thing and it was <laughs> new television and it was Michael Jackson and Madonna and, and U2 and all those big superstars back in the day. And it was real music videos. And that was what I was drawn to. I was drawn to the music side of the world, not, and saw that lifestyle. And I was like, that's the lifestyle that I want.
1: Hmm. So did you end up going to college? I
0: did. I, two weeks after graduating high school, I turned 18 on graduation day. Two weeks later, I was on a plane to to Southern California, not to go to college per se, but when I was in high school, I got into choir. Like I said, I was enamored by MTV. While I was in high school, I set a goal that I was going to move to California and I was going to get a record deal. And I was going to get paid to be a professional singer and travel the country and get on MTV. So two weeks after graduation, Uh, I moved to Southern California. I had gotten involved uh, in a song and dance company when I was in high school Hmm. that was based in California and they had like a, they had kind of a, they had a nonprofit school. So you didn't have to pay to go, but you didn't get paid to perform either, but you, they would teach you how to sing and dance and perform and do lighting and and production in exchange for your sweat equity of putting on a show that they would get paid for. So Hmm. it was kind of like a nonprofit college, right? Okay. And so I moved to California at 18 and, um, 400 bucks in my pocket. And I was like, okay, so two days down there in California, walking, literally walking the streets of Fullerton to find a job waiting on tables. And I got a job as a cook the second day I was there. Um, after about six months, um, of being a great 18 year old in Southern California, being exposed to some of the most beautiful girls in the world, which I wasn't accustomed to in Alaska. Um, Um, I decided to get back into college. So I took out student loans and got into a Fullerton, Fullerton junior college, which was a, which was a a junior college uh, right down the street, started going full time. So I'd go to school full time. I'd go to work, uh, two different waiting on table jobs, uh, after school, um, and still doing the performing on the weekends. So I did that for about a year and a half.
1: Wow. What came next?
0: Well, I dropped out of school because I, uh, I started auditioning about a year and a half, like probably when I was about 20. 20 to 21 years old. I started auditioning in Hollywood. Back in the day, it used to be you know auditions, which there still are. But Mm -hmm. um, so I went to an American Idol type audition. It wasn't American Idol, but it was like that. There was about 10,000 kids that showed up in LA audition. It was about a five day process, and I ended up getting the the gig. And so me and two other guys, we got a deal on Warner Brother Records, and we traveled the country with Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Billy Circus. So I had to drop. I had to decide: Do I drop out of college? And go after this massive dream that I moved to California for, or do I just stay in college and get the degree? And I was like, "Duh, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna go travel the country and get paid to sing <laughs> to sing." And so yeah. that's what I, that's what I did. I, was, uh, I dropped out of college when I was 21. I had about a year and a half in, got good grades. I actually was one of those people that really loved college. I was learning about psychology, business management, nutrition, physical fitness. Like I was on, I was, I loved it. Had had a maybe one B, got all A's um even though i was a c student in high school i actually really loved college um mm. met a lot of great people um so yeah i i just i was like you know what i got to follow the dream
1: absolutely so you're you're touring with like the ringling brothers um talk to us about that process like like where where did that go
0: so we after we got the deal it was about 4 or 5 months later when they um flew us out to cal well they they, were, they flew out to california for us to record our album mm-hmm. So we recorded our album at the record plant in Santa Monica, which is one of the most famous music studios ever. And all the songs were already pre-written for for us um, in a boy band type thing. That was just the way it worked, you know, NSYNC and New Kids on the Block and Mm -hmm. Backstreet Boys and all that stuff. Most of the songs were their first albums. They were already done and you just go in there and perform them. Mm -hmm. So we recorded our album. And then a few months later, uh, the three guys, me and John and Andy, we moved to Florida to join the circus. So we moved there. We did a record. We did a, uh, a music video, uh, which incorporated elements of the circus, which was really cool. So that was our first kind of, you know, dive into the actual circus with the elephants and the tigers and the performers and acrobats and all this stuff. And people from all over, literally all over the world, Mongolia, China, Kazakhstan. I mean, it was crazy. Then uh, they prepped us for the show. And uh, so we, we – uh, I think we started touring somewhere around November or December. Um, and then we did that for an entire year. So we, we played pretty much – the first year of the tour, you play pretty much every major city. Right. So we played every major arena in the United States. So Madison Square Garden, L.A. Sports Arena, Omni, Spectrum. We played every major arena. And it was just – dude, it was crazy. We were in – every teen magazine we were on billboard magazine we got on mtv um it was really it was really really cool at 21 years old 22 years old it was like like yeah it was awesome
1: yeah so you were flying so i'm still i'm still fascinating well, actually, we
0: traveled by train we didn't fly
1: <laughs> so I'm, i'm still just like blown away by how how this connects to where you're at now so like fill in fill in the gap here like for our listeners that are like how did this dude go from like boy band legend to like angel investor and like mentor to like entrepreneurs like how did that happen
0: well i wouldn't say i was a boy a, a boy band legend okay okay you, okay. But, you know it was, it was a great experience we didn't go yeah. anywhere um as far as you know stardom or anything like sure. that but we certainly had moments where we felt like rock stars yeah. i mean we really did you know it was, it was really really cool to open up teen machine and tiger beat and 16 magazine and billboard magazine and your picture be in it. It was really cool for a kid that grew up in a small town in Alaska to some military parents. It was really darn cool. So, you know, what that taught me Apple is, is the same thing that I do today. It's just, you know, set a goal. And then do the work that it takes to achieve the goal that you want and realize that some things come faster than, than other things. And as long as you stay focused and determined on your goal and you're willing to do the work, you'll find that most people just simply aren't willing to do what it takes. And if you're willing to do what it takes, then you're going to get the success that you want as long as you progressively move forward.
1: Hmm. Absolutely. So you, but that has
0: nothing to do with what I do today as far (laughs) as far as business is concerned, but the mindset and the, and the work ethic and the, and the focus and the determination, all of the basics that are needed for success, those are still there. And that's what got me to what I, what I did achieve with that. So any success that I've had in life is purely because of those same characteristics uh, and, uh, that, that you know, every successful person possesses.
1: Absolutely. So when this tour ended, did you guys just sort of like fizzle out? Did you guys keep going for a while? What did that look like?
0: Yeah, we... Uh, we disbanded no sure. pun intended or pun intended <laughs> and we all kind of went our separate ways. You know, we got done with the circus and they said, Hey guys, we know you have a two year contract, but this isn't going the way that we thought it was going to go with bringing in the audience that we wanted uh, mm-hmm. to bring in. And we're pay- we were paid, we were paid very high salaries for the circus standards. Sure. And we were given very big rooms, which is a big deal when traveling with the circus on a train. Yeah, um, And so they just said, you know what? There's, there's no return on investment is basically what they told us. And they said, you guys did a great job. Do you guys want to stay? Or do you guys want to go? And we were all 22 years old or so. And we were all young and cocky. And we're like, nah, we'll just go our separate ways. Thanks. And we didn't recognize the opportunity that maybe we could have had if we had stayed together and really pursued it because we were all pretty talented and we had a good look and we made some good relationships. But you know, we were young and we didn't know what else to do. So we all just disbanded and we all went our separate ways.
1: Hmm. Okay. So where, where did you go next? Like you're this 22-year-old kid who'd made a little bit of money and, and had had a lot of experiences. What was, what was your next move?
0: So here is the interesting thing. Um, while I was in college, I got introduced to credit cards. Okay. And I got introduced to student loans. Hmm. So during my year with the circus, we got paid a per diem which is money that you get for food and, and expenses, which isn't, which is not taxable, which is really cool. Then we got paid our salary during the course of that year. I put myself on a plan to pay off all of my student loans and my, and the credit card debt. So when I got done with the circus, even though we made a pretty decent amount, I was frugal enough and saved enough to pay off all my debt. So when we got done with the year, I was pretty much debt free and had a few thousand dollars in the bank, which made me rich according to, you know, net worth standards even today. Sure. And so I met, a, I met a girl in Alabama who said, hey, Sean, you know, we like you, we like your talent. Why don't you move to Alabama and let's see if we can help you go on a solo career. And so I moved to Alabama. They didn't quite have the resources and everything that would needed to be really needed to take someone on a solo career, but um, it was a really cool experience. And I'll tell you, there's, here's an interesting thing. Throughout life, we get thrown different opportunities and you come to a fork in the road. And, you know, there's the rhetoric of, you know, the entrepreneur will take the one less traveled and blah, 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 blah. Well, at 23, 23 years old or so, they, uh, this group brought me to Nashville, this music group, um, uh, Liberty Records. And they brought me to Nashville and they had me sing some demos of country music. and they basically offered me a development what's called a development deal which is you move to Nashville on your dime we'll put you together with other musicians and and we will on our dime uh, we'll help you record some music and then we'll put you out on the road as a an an opening act for somebody and we'll groom you to be a recording artist and they told me that the guy was this guy uh Billy Dean, which is, a, which is this guy who at the time had some pretty good songs on the radio. He was like 6'4", good-looking guy. I was 6'1". We both had kind of the mullet you know, <laughs> hairstyles going back in the day. And they're like, you know, you get these two guys out on the road, you know, it'd be fun. And they just kind of said, this is what we'd like to do with you. And at that time, I had never been exposed to country music. Country music was a lot more twangy. It was a lot more different than it is today. And I had to make a decision, and I decided to pass it up. Hmm. You know, as, I look, as I look back, I never regret that decision because I, I stay with my heart and, and my instincts of what, what was right for me in my life. And, but I always I do wonder sometimes, I'm like, you know, if I would have taken that deal, I know how hard I work. I would have developed my skill. I could be another, you know, major country singer out there <laughs> today. And the interesting thing enough is as the world happens, I ended up becoming friends with Billy Dean later on in life about five years. Actually, let's see, actually, maybe about 10 years ago, I was at a wine event that he was singing at and I got to hang out with him and know him and I've hung out with him several times and told him the story and he's like, man, that's just crazy. <laughs> and so, you know, life just, just happens that way. But, you know, I don't feel like I re- regret that decision, you know, because it's just, a, you know, once, I'm, once you make a decision, you just kind of have to stick with it, right? And, and but uh, so anyways, to answer your question, from 23 to 32, I call those that 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 decade I call it my decade of desperation because that was my decade where I was living the life that a lot of younger people are living are starting to live today we didn't have technology we didn't have podcasts we didn't have the internet we didn't have social media all we had back in the day were newsletters from Dennis Waitley and Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and things like that guys that are icons in their in their own right mm-hmm. and we didn't have a resource to go to for knowledge like this that was just so easy to obtain today, and has spoiled us. If you if you ask me, um, but I tried lots of different get rich quick opportunities, kind of like what people find on uh, in my Instagram audience, like the cryptocurrency craze of last year, the mm. forex trading, the the um, shoot the the, the Instagram, Instagram meme accounts, the yep. stuff that's just kind of get rich quick type stuff. Um, not that they, they take good industries and then they just kind of tweak it a little bit. Right. Yeah. And so I, I was a young, impressionable, naive, inexperienced young man, and I just tried all kinds of things and none, you know, none of them seemed to work. And I don't blame that. I don't blame it on the fact that those industries and those opportunities didn't work, but I didn't know what business was. I had waited on tables. I had done telemarketing. I knew how to sell and talk, but I had never been professionally trained to sell, which is a big difference between someone who wings it and someone who's a professional. And what I try to tell people is your results don't lie. A professional salesperson makes $250,000 a year or more. A person who wings it and is an amateur is probably making less than 75. And the difference is their training and maybe the company they work for. So during that year, I just tried lots of different things. And it was a pretty crazy, it was a pretty crazy 10 years. I claimed bankruptcy during that time because I got myself in some financial trouble again. Um, I remember borrowing money to buy some of these get rich quick schemes. I, you know, I, I, I got into network marketing to some, some of those, I got involved with some bad element of network marketing, the guys that would just build followings and then leave and, mm. and take their following. And so, yeah, I, you know, all a learning lesson.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, bouncing back a little bit. What, what are some of the, the key things? Because I get a lot of people, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, who are just getting out of high school, maybe just getting out of college, and they're getting into the world of sales. And they're wondering, like, what are the things that they need to know? Like, what are some of the, the key differentiators that separate the people who, who are doing well in sales and the people who aren't? So what are some of the, the things that you picked up on throughout your tenure in sales that you think would be applicable to, to a younger listener who's just getting started in the field?
0: Stay focused on sales training, ongoing sales training. You know, continue even the best sales trainers that I know, and including my sales coach. Uh, it's always about sharpening that axe. It's, it's about, I mean, sales is so much, it's a very complicated uh, process. It's analyzing personalities, analyzing body language, it's verbal and nonverbal communication, it, it's a process. That must be followed at every single time. And a lot of people wing their presentations as opposed to having structured sales scripts so that they know what they're saying. And while they're saying it, they can say it so well that they can watch the body language and see that you're shaking your head up and down and watch your facial features. All little things that can help in the negotiation process. Um, but I would say the number one thing that I see out there in the world today that amateur and inexperienced salespeople make is they, they skip the first step. And the first step is building a rapport, building trust. Until we build trust and until we establish a rapport, the sales process doesn't move forward. We could try to force it, but we'll usually lose those sales. And this is very inherent in sliding into the DMs. You know, (laughs) people just want to slide into someone's DM and say, hey, I have something that I know you're going to love. Well, no, you know what? I don't know you. Take a hike. You know, and and people forget the sales process. Our complete business of Ask a Millionaire has been 100% built by direct messages and live streams on Instagram, a half a million dollar business mentoring over 400 entrepreneurs all through direct message using traditional sales principles on Instagram. And I get, I receive hundreds and hundreds of messages a day. And it is just insane to watch some of the direct messages that we get. And I tell you, it's just like, I love to be sold by a great salesperson because they just make the experience the way it's supposed to be. And, you know, I definitely see that as somewhere that that someone needs to fix that.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So what are some of the ways that our listeners can begin to build trust with people before they just sort of like dive in for the kill?
0: Well, you ask questions and you listen. So when I network and I meet somebody, generally speaking, the first thing I'll say is, you know, uh, where are you from? How long you been there? What brought you to Nashville? You know, and mm-hmm. then so you just start the conversation. There's a thing called law of reciprocity. A lot of successful people talk about this. The more you ask questions and listen to somebody else, there's a there's a there's a law called law of reciprocity, which means when you're done asking the questions, they feel obligated to give you the time that you're looking for. It's the law of reciprocity. So if I give you 10 minutes of asking you about your life, then, and you know, I'm a salesperson, then the law of reciprocity says, okay, now we're going to have a conversation about what you do and what you're looking for. And so by building up, by asking questions, you get the person to open up and it's all about just determining what questions to ask. So for instance, if I, and going to reach out to somebody on direct message before I reach out to somebody on a direct message, I'm going to check out their social media profile. I'm going to see if they have a LinkedIn profile. I'm going to see if they have a website. I'm going to Google their name. I'm going to find out as much information about them as possible so I can determine what their interests are, what their hobbies are. So when I start up a conversation, I'm appealing to them and what they do as opposed to my own initiative. Um, and most people don't do that. They just say, Hey, I need something from this person. I'm just going to go straight for the ask.
1: Mm, That's so true. And taking that little bit of time to just do some research on the person that you're reaching out to and yeah, like figure out what they like, figure out what they're passionate about, figure out what their goals are and what they're working towards. And then like, see if you even align with that. And if like what you're providing to them or what you're going to offer them is even in the right, like wheelhouse to, to really provide value to them and help them move towards where they're trying to get to.
0: Right, exactly. And there's also a popular thing that you can do that my mentor taught me was drip about, you can drip. Uh, content. Hmm. So, for instance, a lot of people will message me and they'll be like, hey, would you be interested in this? And I'll just respond, no. And they'll go, okay, thank you. And then they're gone. So, they're not really there to serve me. They're just there to serve themselves. Mm -hmm. But my coach and my mentor, he constantly sends me articles on email about entrepreneurialism, about sales, about communication, about wine, about food. He's constantly dripping content to me and building Mm -hmm. that relationship. Even though we've already got a relationship, he's showing that he still cares and he nurtures the relationship. So one of the things that I advise the people that I mentor to do and we coach them on is to drip content. So when you get to know somebody and you're building that relationship, even if they don't give you the time of day initially and you still know their interests and hobbies, you can get their contact information and start sending an article every month. Hey, John, I realized that you were into this, thought you might like this. Hey, John, I was, at, I was at this conference and somebody was talking about thought you would be interested. You just keep continually providing value and tripping, you know, relationship type of nurturing on them. And then eventually, a lot of times what happens is they go, who is this? And they'll go, what can I do for you? Can we set up a call? Because now they feel a little bit obligated because you're doing such a great job with persistence and building the relationship. So by dripping content and dripping resources, you, you continue to build a
1: relationship. I'm so with you. And like that persistence and that follow-up has been something that's really served me. And whenever I'm trying to connect with somebody, like if you get one message that they just leave on red, like, that's not a no. That's like a, I got distracted. I'm, I'm busy. Like something happened, but like you just keep following up with them because you don't know what happened. Like you don't know why they didn't respond to your message. You don't know if they're not interested, if they got distracted. So like following up, being persistent like getting those touch points, like repetitive touch points, but something that's really benefited me when I'm trying to connect with people like leaving comments on their Instagram, like hopping into their live stream, sending them direct messages, like as many things as you can do to get your name um, in their brains so that when they see your name, they recognize your name. And they're like, Oh, he's the kid that keeps messaging me or he's the kid that keeps commenting on my photos or like hopping in my live streams. And that's, that, that persistence and that repetition has really been a huge asset to me um, whenever I'm trying to connect with somebody.
0: Absolutely. And you, and you know, you've been doing this long enough now to where you know what to say and what not to say. You know, a lot of things, yeah. a lot of times it's what, what, it's what you don't say as well. And that just comes with time and with training uh, and experience of knowing what not to say.
1: Do you have any examples of like red flags that when like somebody sends you this, you're just instantly like super turned off and like, I'm not going to talk to you.
0: Well, the first thing, I mean, the first thing is, is when they, when it's apparent that they're just serving themselves, if they say, Hey, I have something I know you'd be interested in. Probably the worst approach you could ever, ever do with anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's like, it's like, you know, I like it. It's a, to dating. You've got the archaic, you know, barbarian guys, that it's, it's a numbers game. If I just ask enough girls in a barbaric way, Hey baby, you want to come back to my place tonight? You're going to finally meet somebody that's going to say yes. So to them, it's just a pure numbers game of they don't care. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's the same thing, you know, with, you know, if, if they weren't getting some type of yes, at some point, they probably would stop and change that approach until at some point they go, you know, this isn't working out really well for me. I wonder if there's something different I should be doing. And then they might go to a seminar or they might go to a workshop or they might hire a coach, you know, or they might get a mentor or something that can teach them how to get better results out there.
1: That's so true. And it's all about like auditing what you're doing, seeing, is this getting me the results that I want? And if not, you got to make a change because the results that you're getting are because of the actions you're taking. If you keep taking the same actions, you're going to get the same results. So you got to audit those actions and, and make sure that they are on track with what you're trying to get.
0: Yeah, exactly. If you're not happy with the results you have, the only way to change is to do something different.
1: Exactly. So bouncing back to your decade of desperation, what got you out of that? Like what was the, the thing, the business, the, the project, like what got you out of that, that whole period of just like bouncing between different things and not really seeing much success?
0: Well, you know, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And I had spent so many years learning about sales And because I finally got a job as an insurance agent during the day, and and my first mentor was the general manager of that insurance agency, and he had a really good sales trainer that taught me about sales. And so they taught me a lot about sales, even though I knew I wasn't going to be an insurance agent the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And so I got lucky to meet a con artist. Yeah, Mm -hmm. sounds kind of weird, right? And I've Mm -hmm. only told this story on one other podcast, um, but those people that are close to me know the story of how I really started my last company Uniguest. And it was all because I met a con artist and I won't, I won't bore you with all the details, but I met this con artist who convinced me to go into a business with him and recruit one of my other, uh, one of my insurance clients into this business. And we did, we tried that business for about a year and a half to two years. And over that year and a half to two years, it just failed before a lot for a lot of different reasons. But during that time, I experienced the power of becoming an authority expert, and what that means is I became known as an expert in the hotel industry for computers, hmm. and for for specifically the types of computers that that uh, were going to be in hotels um, in the future. And this was back in you know we started that in 1999, 2000, and and that company went for a year or two, and we shut it down. And then I started my own company in 2002. Came right off of a failed business and went right into my own business. And I say I was lucky because I got lucky because I was naive. You know, naive, I wrote a book called The Power of Naivety. Uh, people ask me, how do I always find success? And what, whether it was back then and today, and I just go, I've always been naive. And people think, well, that's kind of a negative thing, isn't it? And I go, no, naive is not a negative thing. It's a fact. We all are naive. Like, you're 19 years old. Do you know what it feels like to be 30? Nope. No. So you're naive to, to the future. We all are. I'm 48 and I'm naive to what it's going to be like to be 60. So I keep that mindset takes me back to when I was a kid that, you know, if I wanted something, you know, I just needed to try. I didn't realize that if I put my hand up on the hot stove, it was going to burn me, but I learned once and I won't do that again. So You know, if I was giving myself advice back when I was 29 and I met this con artist and the young Sean Thomas came to Ask a Millionaire Sean Thomas and said, what do you think? I'd be like, run fucking as fast as you can. Run so fast you would beat Usain Bolt in the the Olympics. Get away from that guy. But because I was so naive to let myself get involved in this situation that I certainly took that lemon and turned it into lemonade in my own business in 2002. What this con guy taught me and what I learned during the process was in order to succeed at a great level, um, there's lots of ways, but one of the ways is to become an authority expert. People need to see you as, if I want to know about computers from my hotel, who would I call? Got to call that Sean Thomas guy. He's the guy that knows about computers and doing these computers for our lobbies. We need to call him. So by positioning yourself as the expert and authority leader, there's not really any competition. When people think, gosh, I would love to have the best mentor coach in the world. Who do we think of? Tony Robbins, you know, obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's a question of, can I afford Tony Robbins? Or do I have to go to one of his team or do I have to go to one of his conferences? So By positioning ourselves as an authority expert, if I want to know about space space expedition, who do I think of? Well, shoot, I probably think of Richard Branson and Elon Musk. You know, there's certain people in the world that become authority leaders in their space and that positions them. They have no competition, right? Hmm. Well, I became known as this computer guy during this wavering, horrible company that ended up shutting down. But I took that experience and I created my own new product for hotels and I started one day at a time, one hotel at a time selling the product uh, to where we eventually built the company.
1: Awesome, so from there, where did you, when did you develop sort of into the mentorship space and when did you develop this, this Ask A Millionaire brand?
0: That didn't come until after I ended up selling my company. So for 11 years, from 2002 to 2013, I ran Ask a Millionaire, or excuse me, Uniguest as the CEO. Okay. In 2006, I brought on an angel investor who bought 51% of the company, but I still remain CEO and he was a silent partner. He became my, I would say, I would say he was my second mentor. The first one was that general manager at the insurance agency. Um, but this guy actually became my first kind of business mentor. And I would just walk into his office with challenges and he'd be like, Sean, here are some things that I've done. Here's some things. And, I, and he was, do well, let's try this. And he helped me for years. In 2009, we had our first kind of falling out and uh, argument. He uh, got a little greedy, and I and just so I ended up buying back uh, 90% of the company. Then we ended up merging his company and my company, and then that didn't work out. So we ended up having to sell the company. Um, so during that time, I had attended lots of different um, workshops, seminars, formal training programs. I had individual coaches. I had structured coaching programs. And hired a lot of different advisors to help me grow as an entrepreneur. Um, not just one. I never just had one person that was responsible for the, all the growth that I experienced. I had a coach for team building. I had a coach for building a culture. I had coaches for personal development, learning about neurolinguistic programming, programming, learning how to control my anxiousness and my anxiety and my my ability to just flare up whenever conflict came around. I learned about conflict resolution. I learned, so I hired all kinds of coaches just to try to make me be a better entrepreneur and better leader to my team. Um, So after we sold our company in 2013, um, I moved out to Manhattan beach, California and just kind of rented a beach house and was enjoying life and took a few years off. And then in the spring of 2015, I was a traditional Instagram user, you know, just put up pictures of myself with food and travels and stuff like that. A couple hundred followers. Wasn't even in it for the followers. I just did it for fun. Yeah. Like a lot of people today. And um, I came across some of these millionaire accounts and I was like, who are these these people? Like, who are all these people that everything's about the Lambo and the cash and and the watches and all this stuff? Who are these people? Like, I'm a millionaire. I don't do that shit. I'm like, what is this? And so, I just kind of get, was intrigued by it. It was a different side of social media that I had ever been exposed to. And I'm like, so I start digging in and I'm DMing them. And 99% of them were just little kids that were enamored by the millionaire lifestyle, but they weren't millionaires. It was just kind of their idea of what a millionaire would live his life. If he had a million dollars, he'd have a Lambo. He'd have a Rolls Royce. He'd have a mansion. He'd have... <laughs> Five gold watches on his arm. He would have a stacks of cash just sitting by his bed, right? That's what a millionaire does. And I'm like, okay, this is not the real millionaire lifestyle. So I just got this weird bug that said, put it out there. Just, just fuck around and go create an account. So I started thinking about, okay, if I was, so I started thinking about it like a brand, but not a business. And I said, what do people look at me for? Like, so I can make this genuine and sincere. And I'm like, you know, as I started to find success, so listen, I had opinions when I was young, but they were unwarranted. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any real life experiences. I know so many kids today, that get their butt hurt because an adult won't listen to them because they know. And it's like, listen, you may think, you know, but it's not backed by experience. It's backed by what you've read and you may be Right. But does it really, it, what makes you so passionate about your opinion? Like, I meet so many young people that get pissed off if somebody doesn't take their advice, you know, when they haven't even proven themselves yet. I'm like, why are you so hell bent on caring that somebody needs to take your advice? Why don't you just shut up and go prove yourself? Then people will. You know, a great example of this app was I was watching Rocky, the movie Rocky. Rocky, if you watch that movie, again. Rocky was a pretty smart guy and he kept trying to give people advice. I remember there was a scene where he's giving this little girl an advice who's hanging on the street corner with a bunch of guys and he's like, you know, if you keep hanging around with guys like that, they're going to treat you like this and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be like that and he's giving her really sound, amazing advice. Then she gets done and she, he drops her off at the door and he's walking away and she's like, hey, Rocky. He's like, yeah. He's like, what? Go fuck yourself." Like, she wasn't listening. Like, she didn't ask him for his advice. She didn't care. But if it had been her idol, if it had been somebody that she did respect, she may have been open to hearing it. But once Rocky became a success, everybody wanted a piece of him. Everybody wanted to listen to what he had to say. Everybody wanted to be around him, right? So it's like that. When we're young, we want our voice to be heard just to give give us a little bit of pat on the back that, oh, we know what we're talking about. But as you get older, you know that term, the the smartest person in the room usually says the least because they don't care about that. The only time they're going to offer their opinion is if somebody asks for it. And until then, they're they're so secure and, and confident in themselves that they don't need to speak unless they're asked, right? So after I, I don't know, I got on a tangent there, but so... Where, where was I going with that? I just love that story though. <laughs> so what was the question again? Um, I think, I think. Oh, we how I go- started asking a millionaire. That's right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so, so I said, you know, now that I have found success, what is my life like as a millionaire? Mm-hmm. And I said, people just want to ask me questions. They just want to say, how did you do it? And, and how can I do it? So I was like, ask a millionaire. If I want to be a millionaire, wouldn't I want to ask a millionaire? I don't want to ask somebody who makes 50 grand a year or somebody who, who is worth 100000 If I want to be a millionaire, I'd rather talk to a millionaire. So I named it Ask a Millionaire. And uh, it just took off like crazy. I started, paying, I started implementing all of this, this, the standard um, growth strategies on Instagram. And, and about, two, about the summer of 2016, no, maybe it was, I don't know if it was 2016 or 15. Time just flew. Periscope came out. And I got on Periscope, started doing live streams, answering questions. And that, that was like the game changer hmm. because that was able to give people a face behind the account and really start having a dialogue, kind of like what we're doing today. And then Instagram came out with a live stream and I switched back to Instagram. Um, but sometime around 2016, people kept asking me, would you coach me? Would you mentor me? Would you coach me? Would you mentor me? And I said, you know, I don't know if I don't know if I'm. Qualified, I don't know if that's what I want to do. I'm just taking time off and enjoying life and while I'm doing this this is a hobby. And so I sat down and I gave it some thought and I said, okay, if I'm going to mentor people, do I want to mentor just a couple people? Or do I want to create a system and a platform that can mentor 5,000 people? So I decided I'm kind of one of those go big or go home type guys. Um, and so I created a platform called ask, called ask a millionaire. And I incorporated, uh, ask a millionaire to an LLC and I created a strategy with a Facebook group and, and online resource center. And I started dumping money into it. And over the last couple of years, I've recruited 11 other mentors like myself that all run multi-million dollar businesses up to a billion dollar company. And we all just kind of transfer and share our knowledge to help out startup entrepreneurs. And that's how it all kind of started.
1: That's awesome. So it was really just a passion project at first, and you were just kind of like, "I wanna, I wanna set the set the <laughs> set the sort of story straight of all of these people fronting and saying like this is how millionaires live." You just wanted to come out there and say how it really was, and then you sort of ended up just transitioning into this huge like business.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's it's a thing of I. I it's not that I wanted to debunk that. There, I mean. <laughs> Floyd Mayweather, he lives that lifestyle. I mean, he's all about the chains. He's all about the cash. He's all about, so there are millionaires that do live that lifestyle. What I wanted to do is just kind of give people another view, Hmm. another view from, you know, a humble, you know, you know, non flashy. I mean, listen, I've got a Bentley. I've got a great house. I've got, you know, I've got my toys, but it's not something I flaunt like some millionaires do. And listen, there's no judging. When somebody makes the money that they make, they can do whatever they want with it. I say, hey, as long as you're buying dinner, let's go. You know, everybody has their, should live their life exactly the way they want to. I just wanted to provide a different narrative. And the narrative that I wanted to share was there was some balance. It was okay and awesome to be successful financially and in life. Um, but here's another way. You don't have to live the way of what Instagram might uh, say it is. And so I just wanted to provide another narrative.
1: Okay, I love it. So earlier you were talking about how uh, younger people sometimes get a little bit butthurt when they're not being listened to and people aren't taking them seriously because they haven't really gotten those experiences under their belt and, and they're maybe speaking on things that they haven't directly experienced themselves. How would you, how do you think about a young person, an 18 a 19 and 20 year old who wants to get started building their brand online, similar to something like Ask a Millionaire or your Sean Thomas brand? Like, how do you think about that process given the fact that they have such limited life experiences and they don't necessarily, they haven't necessarily gone through all of the things that somebody who is older has gone through, but they still want to start building that social presence for themselves.
0: I think to put it in perspective, they have to realize that what, what is their goal, like what's the ultimate goal? You know, if you don't have a destination in mind, you're never going to get to where you want to go. So I always like to start with a destination. And I'm not talking about a destination of 100,000 followers, yeah. like, I'm talking about a destination of how you want it to truly impact your life. So you might say, I'm going to turn this into a business and for it to be a successful business, that means X amount of dollars in revenue. X amount of customers, X amount of employees, X amount of time I spend in my business, all those types of things, and really start putting a destination into it. And the way to start building that is take one step. You know, entrepreneurship isn't a leap, it's just a step. You know, it's not like you're jumping off the Empire State Building, hoping that you're gonna land okay. You're just taking one step up the stairs. I mean, it's not really that big of a deal. It's just one step. And so what I tell people when they're looking to build a brand is to remember just that you've got to build a brand and you can start building a brand from day one. So if you say, Hey, my, my experience, my limited experience is in X it's in Instagram. And I want to build up an account like ask a millionaire and I want to build a coaching platform and I want to create online digital courses and education to help people, make more money in their business, or be able to donate more money, or be better at sales, or um, I'm coaching a guy who, who wants to create an, an entire Bulldog community filled with amazing things, all Bulldog, and he'll create products and services and for all the Bulldog lovers out there in the world, right? And so whatever, the, whatever it is that somebody wants to create, What is it that you want to create and what's the first end game destination that you want? Then my recommendation would be to get a branding company to create your initial branding. So get a logo, get an icon, get a color palette, get a font package, and then cultivate what your unique selling proposition is and cultivate what your story is. Because once you have that, that's what you're going to build upon. You know, when you build a house, you start with the foundation. When you build a car, you start with a frame. And that's branding. To, have a, to, to build a brand, you have to create the foundation, which starts with a name, a logo, an icon, a color palette, topography, and your story. And that way, from day one, you can start saying, I am the original live stream mentor. My name is Sean Thomas. I am the original live stream mentor. I've been live streaming for four years. You know, I've done thousands of live streams and I tell the story, right? So if you can tell the story, people will know what to expect when watching you. And you can start taking that brand package that you have, which is your brand assets and your brand identity, and you can start utilizing programs like Canva or Adobe Illustrator. And you can start utilizing those softwares to develop a content strategy. For your brand and then you create branded content within those softwares then once you once you develop that you'll move it over to a software like Planoly, which creates your content calendar so that you can post consistently and make sure it fits your brand and your your pattern on your instagram newsfeed looks pleasant to the eye it's aesthetically pleasing you know i was talking to a guy that i coached today and and I was doing an Instagram audit. I do Instagram audits for people from time to time. And we were looking at his page and I said, and, he, and it was just kind of a little bit, you know, all over the place. And I said, you know, think about branding like this. Think about it in its simple, simple format. Think of it like a, a guy in a suit. Think about just a plain, simple suit, nice dark blue suit with a crisp tie, Edged collars and nice tie blue tie all the way to the top the pants are nicely fitted they're nice and trim it's a custom tailor suit that's fitted for their body nice shiny shoes it puts off a great image right that great clean line right now think about a guy that just bought a suit at men's warehouse that doesn't fit them really well The shirt is a little bit baggy and it's coming out the suit. The tie isn't tied very well. The collar is a little bit bent because it's not crisp. And the pants are like double the size of their legs because they're not fitted for his body. And the shoes, you know, they're okay shoes, whatever. But you look at it and you get this like, well, that suit, there's just some, the the mind visually says, well, that's not sharp. That's not, you know, amazing. It's a blue suit. But it's a blue suit but when I see the guy with a custom tailored suit I go now that's a good-looking suit so a brand says everything about our business it's the aesthetics and it tells people is that person aligned with what their brand mission statement is so it's vital to get that brand done in the very beginning and hey it might cost five to ten thousand dollars to create that brand it's a lot of money but if you don't if you build a house on a stack of cards that house is gonna come falling down at some point as you build on it. And us entrepreneurs that have been in the business long enough, we know that if we don't build a foundation, it will break at some point. And so what I tell people is, in the beginning, come up with your brand, and as you're coming up with your brand, find out what your passion is, what you like to do, and then start becoming an expert in that. Study it, read every article, read every book, immerse yourself all the way into the deep end. But while you're doing that, you still got bills to pay. So go out there and do what I did. Work one, two, and three jobs, which keeps your bills low. If you're working three jobs, you don't have enough time to socialize and pop bottles at the club on the weekends because you're working on the weekends. So you just have to save money. And save money and put that towards your branding in the beginning. And then once you put it towards your branding and you're still working all those jobs and you're not making any money off your brand yet, take the money that you earn and start using that to grow your social media following. It's called advertising, it's called marketing. Pay bigger accounts to promote you that are in the same uh, genre, in the same theme, so that you can start building your audience and start spending some of your free time doing Instagram live streams and teaching people about the subject in which you're becoming an expert. You know, Tony Robbins and Dean Graziasi and Russell Brunson just came out with a program called The Knowledge Blueprint. And everything about it is about being an authority in your space, and you can either be an expert Or in the beginning, you can report expertise. So you can say, hey, you know what? I may not be the expert, but I just went out there and read the 10 best books on X. And would you like to know my findings from what is similar between these 10 books? Swipe up to get the information, right? And so you can report on expertise while you're becoming the expert. And social media allows you to do that. So that's what I would start off doing. If I was just getting started today, I would determine what do I want to be an expert at? I would work three jobs or two jobs at minimum to save money, to build my brand and pay experts to do it and then continually build. And within three or four years of doing that, if you commit to that to three to four years, I don't care if you're just getting started today. If you put three to four years into it, You should have a six figure business in that business in three to four years if you dedicate yourself and keep learning.
1: Sean, you just dropped a ridiculous amount of value in like those last like five, six minutes. Like, all of you guys listening, if you did not catch each and everything that Sean just said, like, rewind the podcast like five, six minutes, listen back to that section because he just gave you a step by step blueprint for growing a massively scalable online business, okay? And you better go back through, take some notes because if you follow that plan step-by-step, exactly as Sean outlined it, like he said, like that is the blueprint for a six-figure online business that has the potential to massively, massively scale. So that was some ridiculous, ridiculous value you just dropped, Sean. I could talk to you all day, but I do have some questions that I'd like to wrap up the show with. Are you feeling ready for them? Let's do it. Awesome. So the first thing that I'm curious about is what is something that genuinely has Sean Thomas excited right now?
0: Man, I just get excited about life, but specifically (laughs) I just started a new create or I co-founded a creative agency out in, uh, in Nashville and my partners are in LA and we are actually so excited to help people build those brands. It's awesome. Like I'm super excited. And the reason it excites me is the two partners I'm involved with. This is their first real endeavor in business ownership. They've been high level at creative agencies doing creative um, and design for fortune 50 companies, big companies, but this is their step into entrepreneurship. So now I am on the other side of the equation, kind of mentoring and sharing my knowledge and helping them become the entrepreneurs that they want to. So it's super cool. I'll tell you, it's a little challenging sometimes because changing the mindset is a little different, but when you're working with great people like I am, and I hope it stays this way, you know, it's really, it's really exciting to see people become the things that they've wanted to. So that has me really excited. Obviously, um, my mentorship group, we're growing our mentorship group of bringing in entrepreneurs every single day that need access to knowledge to grow their businesses. That keeps me excited. And uh, man, getting ready to take a trip to uh, Europe in June, getting ready to take another trip to Europe in uh, October. So life just has me excited.
1: There we go, there we go. Sean, do you have any habits that have served you particularly well? These could be in your business, in your lifestyle, but just things you do on a regular basis to help you get to that next level.
0: Sure, so about when I when I was selling my company, after I, after I spent that 11 years building my company, like a lot of entrepreneurs, I kind of let my health go a little bit. So I moved out to California and I'm, and I got introduced to this guy out in Manhattan beach and he is now a very good friend of mine. And he's actually a mentor in my mentorship group now. Hmm. And he's a, he is a fitness expert, not a, like a trainer, but a supplement. He has a fitness supplement company and he's a peak performance coach and, and he runs a multi million dollar business. He's in YPO and EO or YPO, not EO anymore, but, um, And I asked him, I said, all right, Jerry, what is one thing that I can implement in my life that will have the biggest impact on my life without it being that big of a deal? And he says, all right, Sean, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wake up every single morning, first thing in the morning. Go ahead and go to the bathroom, whatever you're going to do. But I want you to go into the kitchen and I want you to make a shake with 24 to 26 ounces of water. And a a scoop to two scoops of protein and this green stuff and these vitamins, you know, and a couple different type vitamins. Start your day every day with that. I'm like, okay, Jerry, that's simple. I can do that. But why is that such an impact in my routine? He's like, let me tell you why. He says most people, don't, most people don't drink the amount of water that they're supposed to drink. So you, when you sleep, you, you dehydrate yourself. You sweat at night, which goes into your sheets and your pillow, which we all see, and you lose water weight. Your body wakes up dehydrated, so you need to fuel it with some water as soon as possible. Also, as you sleep for five, six, seven, eight hours, some of you listening probably 12 hours, too much, but uh, <laughs> your body gets what's called muscle atrophy, which means your muscles kind of just, you know, they're just dead. They're just kind of, they haven't been moving. So the protein and the water gets into your body and just kind of gives it a jolt. Like a lot of people get that same jolt from artificial, like caffeine. Mm -hmm. This is really good for your body. And it's going to give you the same effect as caffeine, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like by the greens and the vitamins you take, those are just things that your body needs that you don't get from your diet each day. And so that's why we add the green powder and all that type of stuff. And I tell you, that's the number one thing I've been doing for the last seven years. And it's made the biggest impact on my life. I'm 48. I'm probably in better shape than I've been in the last 10 years. I feel like I have actually look younger than I did eight years ago, which is crazy. Um, So that's kind of one of the biggest, biggest things that I do in my daily routine.
1: Awesome. I love it. That's super, super valuable and super actionable as well. Um, I know you're putting out a lot of content across all your different social media channels and and different platforms, um, but is there any content that you're consuming right now, whether that be books, audiobooks, podcasts, YouTube channels, um, anything at all?
0: You know, I just, I did purchase that Tony Robbins um, uh, Knowledge Blueprint. So I actually created a Facebook group where me and like 20 something people are going to start going through that content uh, to examine it. Uh, master, we're going to mastermind the content. You so cool. It's, it's a mastermind about masterminding, <laughs> uh, which, which is really cool. But that's the that's the deepest dive of content. You know, I'm on the other side. I've read hundreds of books. Now, I really, if I need access to knowledge and information, I've got several different coaches and mentors, and I'll just book a call with them. I don't care if it's thousand bucks or five hundred dollars. What I try to instill in people is something staying on the tony robbins thing is tony robbins talks about this a lot it's about compacting the time frame of knowledge learning and so by talking to somebody one on one which is going to cost you the most the most expensive type of consultation is one on one face to face that's the most expensive time Uh, that you're going to buy ever. But with the right consultants and advisors, they can cram information from years and years of experience, decades of experience into a 15, 20, 30 minute conversation. And you have to be ready for it. And a lot of people aren't ready for it. Like you just said, if you didn't catch what Sean said in that five or six minutes, go back and read it. 99% of people won't even comprehend the value of the knowledge that was just shared because they weren't ready for it. But when somebody's ready for knowledge, you want it as clear, concise, without storytelling, you want a clear, concise direction in nature, step-by-step in nature. And all it takes is one step that can make a big difference in your life. It just takes one thing. And people think I've got to read a book of 300 pages in order to get that information all I, I've learned that all I need is one conversation with somebody that has great experience and what I need and I'll take more out of it in 15 to 20 minutes. than I will reading an entire book.
1: Hmm. That's so true. But like you said, you got to be ready for it and you got to know the questions to ask and like what you really need out of that conversation. And that's something that, again, not a lot of people are ready for. Not no. a lot of people are ready.
0: You know, man, I have not, especially. I have I, never read an entire personal development book. I've never read all of Think and Grow Rich, even though I know it's um, probably the best book ever with personal development. I've never read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki and Sharon Lecter. I've never read The Secret all the way through. I've never read any of anything Law of Attraction. I've never read any of those books back to back, even though I know I follow a lot of the principles that are taught in those books, Mm -hmm. but I've never read those books. When I was reading books when I was building my company, I was reading sales books. I was reading books about team development. I was reading Blue Ocean Strategy to learn how to deal with competition. I was reading One Minute Manager to learn how to get my employees to think like solution finders instead of problem finders. I was reading very specific books that helped me with a problem that I was having today. And I've never had a problem with mindset. I've never had a problem with thinking big. I've never had a problem with the law of abundance and the law of attraction. I've always been like that naturally because I, because of the story that I told you about the way I grew up and my parents were the type of parents that always said, Hey, we can't help you because we don't know what it's like to even do the things that you want to do, but we'll be here for you. And if there's anything we can do to help, we're here, but we know that you're the type of kid that's going to go after what you want. Go for it. And, you know, I think, I think that that's probably besides my relationship with God, the relationship that I have with my parents and the fact that they never tried to talk me out of something. They never said that I should do this because that's the way they think I should live my life. I'm so fortunate to have parents that allowed me to the freedom to live the life that I wanted without making me feel bad for it. Because I know that there's a lot of younger people out there that have parents that are conservative and have fear-based mindsets and they love their kids so much that they want to protect them from failure that they end up preventing them from success. You know, if you protect yourself from failure, you also prevent yourself from succeeding because you don't try to take action on the dream that you have. And so I was fortunate enough to have parents that never did that to me. And um, I feel very blessed for that.
1: That's so huge. Sean, you've been dropping so much value on our listeners today. And I really, really appreciate that. If they want to follow up with you, hear more about you, your story, um, and just really connect with you, where is the best place for them to do that?
0: So the first place I think goes, goes place like right here. Most, <laughs> most won't I most will That's the website for my mentorship group. That's where you can see meet more about me and all the other mentors get testimonials from the entrepreneurs. And if you're looking for business mentorship and you're doing under a million dollars a year in annual sales and you want to do a million, we would love to mentor you and help you in your business. And we all have real life experiences. The next is my personal website, seanthomas.com. That's just where you can learn a little bit more about me sign up for my personal email list where I share different books, different courses, different things that I, that I share with my audience of the things I do in my life on a daily basis and then of course on Instagram, Ask a Millionaire.
1: Awesome. I'll be sure to link up all of those in the show notes for our listeners. Sean, do you have any last words of wisdom, closing thoughts, anything you want to close out the show with here today?
0: You know, I, I just want to say this, for those of you listening, you know, that you serve as a perfect example of what successful people do. When people ask me what differentiates a successful person and an unsuccessful person, a successful person is willing to do the things that others won't in order to succeed. And there's a lot of young adults like yourself that are thinking about doing a podcast want to do a podcast and they're not doing it. I love, I, I just want people to serve, to allow themselves to look at you as an example of if you just do it, you're going to learn and you're going to meet a lot of great people. So get out there, meet a lot of great people, develop those relationships and they will benefit you in the future.
1: Mm, words of wisdom. Everybody go out there, start a podcast Make your dreams come true. Sean, thank you so much for your time, man. I really do appreciate it. Um, And I appreciate you choosing to spend it here on Young Smart Money. Absolutely, man. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of Young Smart Money. If you want to support the show, you can do so in three different ways. You can subscribe, you can leave me five, and you can share this episode with a friend. To subscribe, all you got to do is click the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts to leave me five All you got to do is scroll all the way down to the bottom of the podcast page for Young Smart Money and click on the write a review button. And to share with a friend, all you got to do is screenshot yourself listening to this episode, post on your Instagram story, tag me, and I'll be sure to repost it in my Instagram story as well. I love giving you guys some attention who are listening to the show. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the next one.